Now, I know Psalm 137 is, is shocking and jarring in the words that it uses and the things, the feelings that it expresses. But you have to understand, you have to understand the context and why it's in the Bible. And let me tell you about why it was because, because I was there that day. Let me set a scene for you. The walls of my precious city, Jerusalem, were being torn down. Blood was running in the streets. Men, women, and children slaughtered, pierced by arrows, run through by swords, bashed with clubs. Women were, and young girls were being raped, and their fathers and brothers and their sons being forced to watch. The sounds of, of the dead and the, the sounds of the dying and, 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 the, and the ones in pain filled the air. It was a horrible, horrific scene, and I will never, ever forget it. This wasn't war, this was genocide. And it wasn't a victory, a, an honorable victory over an armed foe. It was a massacre. It was target practice for the Babylonian soldiers. And the taunts and, and the jeering, the mockery, just added insult to injury. Where is your God, Israel? Is he in hiding? Is he scared? Why doesn't he come and help you? And on top of that, they made us sing and dance in this horrible situation. Sing songs of praise to your God. Sing songs of, of joy. Dance for us, Israelites. Dance. They did everything they could to humiliate us, to dehumanize us, to strip away our dignity. But the worst, the absolute worst, which I will never forget, was how they treated our infants and toddlers and young children. It was as if they didn't want to waste an arrow on them, didn't want to deign to bother to bloody their swords with them. So instead, they, in front of the parents and the grandparents, they picked up the children and they hurled them to the ground, dashing them, bashing their heads against the rocks. After those horrible days, we who survived were taken into slavery in, in Babylon. We were slaves, we were servants, and we made the best of it. We did what we could do. We had no choice. We settled in and we made lives for ourselves in a foreign land. But that day we never forgot. And years came and the years went, and, but still that rage and that anger, that red-hot Anger at the atrocities, the injustice, the horrific acts were still there, waiting for the day of justice, waiting for release, waiting for expression. Now, it was during those years in, in Babylon, as the Israelites were longing to return to their country, fueled by anger over what had happened that this Psalm 137 was written. Now, as I said, it's a little bit shocking to hear this psalm. We would much prefer to hear something on maybe Psalm 23, for example. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, that these me beside streams of right, on and on and on. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We want to hear those. But, but today, we're coming to Psalm 137, and... It's here in the Bible. We're not going to avoid it. We're going to talk about it briefly. And, and hopefully, 
you'll walk away with something to chew on and to apply in your lives. Now, in a world where there is so much revenge and violence and destruction, it doesn't seem like the church should be hearing the words, happy are those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks. I mean, don't we pray the Lord's Prayer and say things like, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us? But unless we think that Psalm 137 is sort of an aberration, and, and we want to try to avoid it, if we look throughout the Psalms, there are several verses like this scattered throughout. For instance, Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of these lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away when they draw their bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Now, the psalms that contain this sort of language, they're, they're, they have this, this title. They're called imprecatory psalms. That's a, it's a fancy theological term for saying they're psalms that ask God to bring judgment and destruction upon their enemies, upon those who mock them and in turn mock their God. And they're rough and they're raw and they're harsh. And we can tend to be a little bit uncomfortable with them. And we want to move past them to get to words that speak of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness. We, in a sense, want to do what Eugene Peterson says we often want to do when we come to a psalm like this. We want to perform a, a psalmectomy. We want to hear instead words of devotion, of courage and faithfulness. What we don't want is something that sounds like it comes from the Taliban. But they are part of Scripture, and here they are staring at us from the pages of Scripture. So what do we do with them? Why are they included in the Bible? Well, there are several things for us to consider this morning. Uh, first, one thing to consider is, is that Psalm 137 is poetry. It's an expression of great pain and anger at the injustice done to Israel by Babylon. It's not a command to go and bash infants' heads. And it's important to look at the, at the at different scripture and how it's used. For instance, much of scripture, like the book of Romans, for example, and some of Paul's letters, they're written primarily to explain theological principles. For example, how we're saved, the nature of grace, uh, the power of the resurrection, what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, the divinity of Christ, things like that. Some scripture is written to give us specific instructions on how to live our lives, practical living suggestions, like uh, commands, like James, the book of James, or the book of Proverbs. Some scripture is, is written to record the, the events in history of, of God's people. First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. Some scripture is recorded to tell us about who Jesus is and to tell us what he taught and what he did. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for example, and so on and so forth. Some are prophecies and there's many other categories. But we do believe and teach that all scripture is given by God for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what Second Timothy 3.16 says of scripture. But the Psalms are interesting. The Psalms, being poetry, they, they, they're an expression of, of so many experiences that we have in life as human beings. Some of them are songs of praise. Some of them are songs of confession, like last week we looked at, Psalm 51. Some of them are, are prophetic, like Psalm 22 that points to the day 
that Jesus would become the Messiah for the people of God and suffer for his, his people. Some psalms are called laments. They express sorrow or pain or grief or even doubts. And some psalms, like Psalm 137, are expressions of anger and rage about the injustice, about the atrocities that are done in this world to God's people. Now, we've all experienced, know the feeling of being angry when something unjust happens, right? Maybe it's happened to us, or we've seen it happen to somebody else. Maybe you're in school and there's a, a person who, for whatever reason, picks on you over and over and over. It makes your life miserable. And it seems unfair because they never get theirs, and they never get their just desserts. They never get called on the carpet for what they've done. They never have to suffer like the person they're bullying. Or maybe, for example, your marriage went south, it went bad, and your spouse was abusive or unfaithful. And unfairly, in divorce court, they got the majority. They got the house, they got the money, they got the kids. Those things make us angry. Or maybe in business. You were doing business with somebody and, and they did something unethical. And they gain financially and you lose financially. Injustice. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Certainly not to the scale, hopefully not to the scale of the Israelites in Psalm 137. We all know that feeling of being angry and frustrated, enraged, because of something somebody does and they get away with it. Now, if you think about it, taking together the Psalms, all 150 of them, really, their prayers, their songs for worship, they're, they're also used to express all sorts of emotions that we experience in life. Love, disappointment, fear, doubt, grief, joy, and yes, even anger. And it's okay to have psalms that express things like this that make us uncomfortable. You see, we are created in God's image. And part of who God is, is that God is a God of, of justice. And so when something horrible happens, is done to an individual or a group, by somebody else, it makes us mad, and rightfully so, just as it angers God. And that is God's image within us, causing us to strongly yearn for justice to be done. Hollywood has made a lot of money off of this. Think about the type of movies that really resonate with a lot of us. The general plot is something like this. There's a bad guy, there's a good guy. The bad guy could be a bully or a corrupt politician a wicked ruler, a really mean person, um, you know, a, a bad sport or coach or something, and they do something unfair to somebody who doesn't deserve it. And when the bully or the bad guy gets defeated or beaten or humiliated at the end of the movie or the end of the story, we cheer and we get riled up and we get excited. We wait for that moment when it happens because we want satisfaction. We want to see the hero win. We want to see the bad guy lose. We want justice. And on the rare occasion when the story doesn't stay true to this plot and the hero dies and the bad guy gets away with it in the end, it upsets us because that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way that it's supposed to end. And so Psalm 137 reflects very rawly but very authentically that God created justice, that God created desire for justice to see evil punished to see those who are victims get some measure of satisfaction in this world. 
And so when verses 8 and 9 say, happy are those who repay you according to what you have done to us, happy are those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks, the psalmist is simply stating, in raw terms granted, he's simply stating what we all feel at times when we see somebody do something horrible to somebody else. I hope they get a taste of their own medicine. I hope someday they, someday they, they, they find out what, what that felt like. So that's the first thing. Something else to consider is that the psalmist doesn't write Psalm 137 intending to inspire some sort of vigilante justice by the Israelites, like maybe Clint Eastwood in some of his westerns. The psalmist expressed anger and rage, yes, but he asked God to make things right. He doesn't urge Israel to take matters into their own hands. He doesn't say, there'll be blood in the streets, take up your swords, let's go for it. So when we are faced with injustice and evil, like the psalmist did, we can express how we feel. We can take it to God. We are to ask him to bring about justice. We are not to take matters into our own hands. Think about King David's life. We know that he wrote many of the Psalms, and some of them are like this Psalm, imprecatory, containing strong words asking God to destroy his enemies. We know from the Bible that David didn't march through the countryside bringing sweet justice, swift justice to those who were against him. In fact, the Bible tells us that on many occasions he showed great restraint. For example, when King Saul sought to have him, hunted him, tried to hunt him down and capture, have him captured and killed, David could have fought back. He could have killed him personally on a couple of occasions, but he did not. And he left it in God's hands, and in time, God himself brought Saul down. Another example, David's son Absalom, one of his favorites, rebels against him, runs him out of the city. His generals want him to to feed him and to kill him. David does not. And when one of his generals does disobey him and kills Absalom, David, it says, was heartbroken. And he mourns greatly. The Psalms give us permission to express our anger and our rage and our pain, our frustration about the injustice and evil and wickedness in our world. And that's only right. I mean, there are things in this world that we should be angry about, right? If genocide in Africa, if, if honor killings in Pakistan, if widespread rape and abuse of women in India, if school shootings and violence in the U.S. don't make us angry, well, that's concerning because it makes God angry. Righteous anger is one of God's qualities. The Bible tells us in many places that God is angry with the wickedness in our world. The Lord Jesus himself in the, in, in the Gospels gets angry on a number of occasions. For example, in Mark 3, Jesus is going to the synagogue on, to, to have worship. And as he goes in, he sees a man with a withered hand outside the door. And the Pharisees are watching Jesus. Because according to their laws... You can't do anything on the Sabbath, even help somebody else. They're trying to catch Jesus so they could trip him up and denounce him and criticize him. And when Jesus discerns that they are more concerned about keeping him keeping their laws than helping this fellow Jewish man, Jesus gets angry. It says he's filled with anger. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, once said this, Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Our hearts are to reflect the values and the reactions and the emotions, the feelings 
of God. When we see somebody who is grieving and hurting and in pain, we should have compassion. When we see somebody who is lost now being found, it should cause us great joy. And when we see injustice and wickedness, it should make us angry. Now, word of clarification. Not an anger that is vindictive or destructive or takes matters into its own hands. But an anger that leads us to take the matter to God. To ask Him to to do something about it. And to ask Him to show us how He would have us respond. Psalm 137 models that for us. It shows us that God is the best place, the safest place to take our anger and to vent and release it. I mean, after all, we all know the experience of going to somebody and saying, I just can't stand what's happening with this person. And then a lot of times we'll say, oh yeah, you should be really angry at them. And it kind of feeds into the anger. And it takes us over. But when we go to God and release that anger to him, invent it in a proper way and express honest feelings, and we ask him to do something about it, and we leave it in his hands, it's raw, it may make us uncomfortable, but it's healthy. And it keeps us from being consumed by revenge and vindictive behavior. Finally, it's interesting that Jesus himself does not shy away from Psalm 137. He doesn't try to perform a psalmectomy either. There's a fascinating, tragic scene in Luke 19. And, and, and the setting is that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at, at the beginning of the Passover week. And it's on the day that we now call, call Palm Sunday. Remember this story? The crowds are, 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 are singing his praises. They're waving palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna to the king. But Jesus knew that at the end of that week, the crowd would demand his crucifixion. And he knew that though some would believe, the majority of them would reject him and his offer of salvation. And that because of of their sin and their rejection, that judgment would someday come. Listen to what Jesus says here. Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And then Jesus alludes to Psalm 137. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus' words were fulfilled in year 70 A.D. when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem. Now Jesus, though, it's important to note, did not say these words out of hate. There's no, no, no hint that he gets any satisfaction from knowing that the people who are going to crucify him, who are rejecting him, were going to have their city destroyed. Rather, says Jesus wept. He wept over the city that was about to kill him. You see, even when God's judgment comes, even when God is angry over the injustice and the wickedness and the evil in this world, and in our own lives at times, even then, God's heart is also tender, filled with compassion and love, and it breaks his heart when people reject him and when he knows that judgment will be coming. Because God is a God who has created all people in his image, who loves all people, even those who reject him and mock him and his followers. 
a good question to ask ourselves, a good way to kind of check our hearts, is that when we are faced with injustice or evil in our lives or in this world, how do we respond? Are our hearts gleeful when judgment comes? Do we get some perverse satisfaction when that bully gets his just desserts? Or are we like Jesus, filled with sorrow and compassion? Does it break our hearts? The bottom line that we can pull from this psalm is there is the reality of evil and wickedness in a world and that it's a serious issue and it breaks God's heart. We can also pull from this the fact that it's okay for us to get angry about injustice done to us or to other people. In fact, if we, try to, if we don't handle it properly, it can eat us up and it can turn us into the very thing that we hate or are bothered by. And then finally, which is very important, it tells us that we must leave judgment in the hands of the only one who is always and perfectly just. And trust that God, being a God of justice, will do what is right, whether it's in this life or the next, knowing and believing that good will be rewarded, that evil will be punished, that injustices will be righted, the proud will be humbled, and the humbled will be lifted up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And this is a, this is a hard and somewhat troubling uh, one to read. But Lord, we know that you are God who is holy and just and we can trust in you. And Lord, when we are faced with injustice and evil and wickedness in our world, Lord, help us to be people who take it to you. The frustration, the anger, the, 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 the even hate at times when we see somebody do something so awful, so horrible, and get away with it. Father, we pray that and trust that you will do what is good and right, that justice will be done in the end, Lord, help us to bring it to you, release it to you, and trust and know and believe that, that you are the only one who is completely and consistently and wholly just. We thank you, Father, for these words. Help us, O Lord, to be people who get angry about the right things and then to handle that anger in the right way by bringing it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.